Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows, and it makes the algorithm gods happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there. On the website, you'll see you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. All right, people. Today is our Father's Day special episode. And it's not like we have a Father's Day special episode every year because we don't. This is our first one. Maybe it'll be a reoccurring theme. I I don't know. But this episode sort of emerged organically out of our good friendship with the one and only Aaron Yoshi. And she was telling me about her friend, the one and only soul guy who had produced an incredible documentary movie called the death of my two fathers that he and his team produced about when he lost his biological father and his stepfather. But this project really resonated with me because I lost my father about a year ago. And so watching this movie was very moving. And in fact, I get emotional in this interview and You'll sort of hear it at the beginning. It was kind of hard to get going thinking about my dad, but it was interesting to see all the feelings and emotion that this project stirred up for me, this movie, thinking about my dad and my family. But talking to Soul Guy was a joy, a real joy and pleasure and honor. I'm so impressed by this dude. I mean, his artistry, his humanity. But then, you know, to take on this project and put himself out there like he did making himself so vulnerable and so human for us as he sort of explores these tough questions, you know, in this movie and, you know, exploring some of the tough issues that, you know, being a part of a family can raise sometimes. And so, you know, listen, if you don't know soul guy, you're about to, I mean, this dude is a world-class human, incredible artist initially made a break, his big break in hip hop grew up in Canada and his group, the rascals, found some some success. But then over the years, he emerged as a producer and on-screen personality working for MTV and Nat Geo. He's worked for Tribeca Productions and Robert De Niro and has done some incredible work with the street artist JR. And I really encourage you to check out Soul Guy and his work. Be sure to Google him. And so without further ado, I want to get into this very special episode. And I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. You know, I think it's it's kind of crazy because I'm a father now with two kids under 10 and souls of father. And so these issues bring up a lot of stuff, you know, not just about our own dads, but but about being a dad. And of course, I know it does for all children out there. But 
Anyway, this project, this movie, The Death of My Two Fathers, is is a poignant work of art. So I encourage you all to look it up and check it out. Of course, we'll be talking about all this in the interview. So you know what? Let's get into it. Without further ado, let's get into this with the one and only Soul Guy. Man, I got to be honest. I'm really honored to have you here today. Oh, man. That's a lot. I'm humbled. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm really grateful. It might even be hard for me to get through, honestly. Oh, man. Your story is so rich and vulnerable. Oh. And, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if Aaron told you, but, you know, we wanted to do this. I wanted to do this for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. My pop passed, you know, a year ago. So. Very sorry to hear that, man. That's, thank you. Thank you. Very fresh. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like who you never know the triggers, you know, like no. you don't know, like the sorrow thing is so like wild. You just don't see it coming, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not a, uh, you know, there's no timeline. I think on most of the things we, places we find ourselves, at least to navigate the world, we we often kind of build timelines and even just our kind of how we're going to accomplish things. You said, you're like, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get to here. And I think that there's kind of the gift of grief is that you're on your own timeline. And it's also the uh, loss. It's also the the thing that makes it a bit like very difficult to navigate, you know? And I think that what I often share with people is that while there's no timeline, the scariest part or the most challenging part, at least for me, is that you're going to need to feel to heal things. And so at what point you get to the place where you're capable of feeling, that's the, the grace you have to give yourself in the process. Because if not, then you're, it's unfair. Like, I, you know, it's just the example. It took me 20 years to watch those tapes, man, 20 years. And yet what's really interesting, I only thought about this afterwards because someone I didn't realize how kind of people kept kind of saying, well, why did it take you so long? And I was explaining to someone the other day, a friend, and I realized that, you know, they were on, as I say in the movie, they were like VHS tapes, they became mini DVs, they became DVDs, you know, and what's wild is, you know, I've, I've been a traveling man, moving around the world most of my life. And in my various backpacks that I would take on planes all over the world, even moving from backpack to backpack, I always had one of those DVDs with me. And I thought that was such a curious thing when I realized that I had them with me. So there was some sort of significance of carrying the physical object with me, yet I didn't have, I wasn't prepared or ready to watch them, but they needed to be with me. And I think that's a really interesting metaphor, if you will, for the timeline of maybe, you know, maybe where you know where you're at in like, and what happens with us, you carry it and it's always present. Yeah. I mean, there's so many levels to your story, so many aspects to your story that resonated because, you know, the tape thing, which I definitely was going to touch on. I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, interestingly, my maternal grandmother mm-hmm. had recorded a audio tape for me when I was like. 18, maybe I was coming out of high school and my maternal grandmother, who, of course, you know, I adored. I mean, I grew up with her. My grandfather was a minister. She was, you know, obviously a minister's wife. So, (laughs) you know, I was a little bit of a black sheep of the family, you know, 18 years old. I get this uh, audio tape from my God fearing, you know, Christian grandmother. And, you know, she gives me this tape. And at 18, I was like, I guess I remember feeling like, oh, here's grandma. She's going to give me a, a sermon on the tape, you know, and uh, and I wasn't ready. You know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, I'll get to this, you know, and dude, it was 25 years. I just listened to it a couple of years ago. Wow. And what was so crazy about it was it was just love. Yeah. But it's the presence of like of her voice, you know, of like the, yeah. you know, the, of, the, of that loss of like, of kind of not knowing we don't have enough, you know, I woke up this morning, <laughs> why I had this, like often look kind of livid. There's, you know, in, in Arabic, there's a, 
a word for it. And I think it would love language. And even though I barely speak English well, but it sounds expansive. There's a word called the barzak, which is where you, you're in between kind of sleeping life and waking life. Mm. And it's up, it's an interesting place because I think a lot of I think a lot we get like downloads there. We get it's I think it's where you carry things through to either side. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And there's a lot of inspiration there. I think people wake up and write stuff down or and right. I wrote down uh, I want to get this right. Let me see here. I wrote it down, it's right here. Life healing death. Mm. You know, like mm. that we're living our we're life, we're healing to get to think that when death comes, like we don't have things in a social setting that is anything celebratory or finite about that or or accepting that that it's finite, accepting that this is where we're all headed. There's this kind of celebration of life, of birth, and then there's this like, you know, and I think we're spending our life healing to get to our death is what I think kind of dropped into my mm, brain because, mm. you know, it, it takes you like you said off top, like it t- it's, there's no timelines. It takes your time. But what I found by confronting death and loss and showing up is that it's the most, one of the most liberating things that can happen to you. And I use that word intentionally because it's the wrong word, <laughs> like liberating, death, liberating. And in fact, in fact, it is, you know, and I, I think that our inability to recognize our mortality takes away from how we live our lives. It was said to me recently, I was like dumbfounded. I've been like carrying this a lot and sharing as much as I could that our inability to recognize and take collective action as we have the capacity to on climate change, which is threatening all of us, is directly related to our inability to recognize our our own mortality. And I was like, wow, that seems so true. So we have this force coming this thing that we've created that we actually have the capacity to deal with, but we don't want to recognize that that's on a more macro level that we're all, mm-hmm, we know mm-hmm. where we're headed. Mm-hmm. We don't know how. Like someone said the other day, we were at dinner, this brother John Christian who does, I met this brother who does, uh, he's down in outside of Nashville and he does these beautiful burials for people. Mm. And he's like, he just celebratory burials on this beautiful land, putting people back to the land, really thoughtful stuff. And he said, we're just having dinner. And he's like, one of us around this table is going to die first. Mm. And everyone's like, hmm. <laughs> 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 pass the potatoes, please. <laughs> yeah, it kind of dropped their forks, right? But what he was saying was the truth. Yeah, right. Anyway, yeah. So no, like I said, no timelines, man. Man, I mean, you know, you're unpacking so much stuff and, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like this is like, should be like part one of like a 10 part series of podcasts that we do because it's just, I can see we could go for hours and hours and hours because, you know, you're hitting on so much stuff and it is so fascinating too. why our, why our, I'll call it our, you know, because I sort of think of the human race as being you know, part of a natural ecosystem. I mean, we're animals just like the lions and the polar bears and, you know, and yeah, we're the most, we're the one animal that seems to be the greediest. We don't live in a sustainable way. And it's just a fascinating thing to think about, like why and what's up and why don't we, why don't we honor, you know, our home, you know, mom said it best, clean up, keep your room clean, you know, make your bed, you know, we don't do that shit. Not, you know, right. (laughs) It's, it's not so that complicated. True, it's so true. It's so it's true. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. Yeah, man. You know, that's fine. I have like I've like a whole list of like things here I want to talk about today. I'm just grateful to be speaking about oh, it. Oh man, I'm just grateful to have you here. You know, but I mean, you know, because you you talk about mortality is it, man. I mean, like that is like that is it. That is it, you know. And different cultures celebrate or deal with mortality and death in different ways. And I think we could learn a lot. America mm. could learn a lot. And you have, you know, your your background's interesting, right? Because you've got one foot in Canada, one foot in the U.S. So you have this, you know, very yeah. interesting hybrid kind of consciousness that a lot of Americans don't have. And I actually lived in Canada myself for a while. So I appreciate Canadian yes. culture in a way maybe that some Americans don't. But the point is... Mm is the the learning from other cultures about how we perceive our mortality and our death. And, you know, like, for example, my wife, like, you know, 
she has not really had to deal with mortality in an up close personal way. I mean, she, she had a friend, you know, in college, you know, sadly, tragically, you know, die in, in, an, in mm. an accident. And that's, you know, that was horrific. And, you know, and I know that was impacting, you know, to her, but like, she's very fortunate to have, have you know, both her parents are living, you know, like all that stuff. Mm. And, you know, my journey was a little bit different. You know, my, when I was six, my six-year-old best friend died in a tragic accident. And I remember, of course, I'm from the Midwest. So in the Midwest, you know, back in the 70s, it was like open casket, you know, kind of funeral, you know. And so I remember at six years old, you know, touching Brett's body. Wow. I remember the cold feeling that was coming, you know, from his body. And, you know, my family you know, sort of rational thing the thought of everything through the prism of Christianity. So, you know, my mom was able to be like, he's in heaven, honey. Mm. Yeah. Now that got me through, you know, right, like right, that. Right. So, but the idea of mortality became very real at six for me. And I think a lot of people like my wife, for example, you know, are, are lucky that they don't have to to deal with that. But on a certain level, I'm grateful that I mean I'm, I would rather have my friend back. Don't get me wrong, of course. But the flip side of that was that I think it woke me up to how ephemeral, you know, life yeah. is. You know, and then that happened again when I was in high school with my cousin. And I won't even go into it, but the point is, is that people need to wake up, man. I mean, you know, all that matters at the end of the day is family and friends and the present moment. And that is it, you know, and it's like, you got to, and for our children's sake, we got to take care of this fucking planet. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Nah, I mean, I mean, we, it's just a lot of fear, you know, a lot of yeah, fear right. individualized, I think you're right, individualized kind of society that we all participate in. And it's like, my frustrations with all this kind of come back to like a mirror because I feel like the only way is to show up differently and to ask questions to recognize Anything I see in society, the hardest thing to accept is that I have some sort of, that I'm culpable in some capacity. Mm, mm. And that's something, and you know, there's that mirror that the thing I'm seeing that frustrates me is mirror. Why did this challenging relationship or friendship or thing come into my life? And so, you know, and I've been fortunate enough to find a mechanism or a expression, I should say, mm. probably is a, is, a, is, a, is a more expansive word through different forms of art and creativity to confront these things, but it's taken mm. me a long time to understand mm. how to do that for myself, mm. what medium is the best for me. But I've been, I'm fortunate that like, you know, I think we all have that capacity to heal through creative practice. It's a big mm. part of yeah. my, my the thing I hold on a really macro level with a lot of people I work with and the places I go to. I think mm. that, and we all have creative practice. I think yeah. that this right now, this is yours. You're in conversation. This is a way mm -hmm. we're, you know, and then you share that with people. Perhaps they take one line out of what we're, we're kicking back and forth here and it, it sparks something for them. But like, that's a major one. And I think also maybe preparing to, as with the time we spend here, what I learned making this film was how important it is to know where we come from and understand mm. our stories mm. and what that means with the lineage. Like, you know how we're, we're having these conversations now so much about like uh, intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. a very important thing to recognize. And I, I realized the other day is like, well, if the trauma is passed on, okay, that, and it's kind of where we fall sometimes. And you forgive me, I've been accused and kind of accept that I am idealistic. You know, I do mm. fall to the side of positivity. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if the trauma is passed on and we can address that, isn't it as important to recognize the beauty and the truth and the, the gifts that are passed on? Like mm. if that must be genetically in our code as well, right? Mm. Like mm. that there's the things that we, that maybe people work through in our family line or that mm. they, the skills or the, the intelligence mm. they acquired or the, mm. the way to navigate, like just as a, as a human being, as an animal on the planet, the good mm. things came with the, so you have both. Yes. And I think that's, yes. and that's what I, I was shocked at what returning, going to some of these just just going to my my great grandfather, who had the same name as my father, William Guy, mm -hmm. who I just through my uncle Jimmy, seeing the film, I went and he took me to that. You know, he took me to Waterloo, Iowa. He took me to the cemetery, 
And I got to stand on my great grandfather's, at my great grandfather's gravesite, which I was with Jimmy. You know, he wanted to take me. I want to go wherever he went. But brother, I can't express to you the visceral feeling of what I received by actually standing on that land. Mm. And like, I felt something like, like go through me. And I didn't, and then there must be a significance of what I received there, both to make this film, but also just for me personally Mm -hmm. in that moment of being like, oh, this this is where we come from. Mm. That was, it was shocking how much Mm. it, how much I received. And I Mm. think that's available to all of us. And that's kind of the hope for what this offering is, is that maybe Mm. people start asking some of those questions. There was so much about this film, your film. Mm the death of my two fathers that, you know, spoke to me. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was how you could be so brave and courageous to be so vulnerable publicly, you know, because you're talking about, you know, maybe it's intergenerational trauma, maybe it's uncovering truths, you know, that are both beautiful and tragic or whatever the case might be. And man, you put your heart out there. I mean, I'm looking at this going like, could I do that? And I, the answer is at best, I don't know, but I think it might, it's just a flat no. Like I would like to think I have the courage and, you know, to be so vulnerable. But that was one of the things for me that really spoke to me because it's like, wow, God bless you, brother, for being so open and transparent and public about your humanity. Wow. Well, thank you. First of all, it wasn't an easy task. I mean, you know, I think that what was happening along the way was, it became really clear to me that like, that there was something for me to receive in the process. And so in the shooting process and when I was caught, when, you know, we went in really always with a small crew with, but, you know, I think a lot of this, I would attribute to trusted friends and collaboration who helped mm-hmm. me feel, I say this gently cause it gets thrown around a bit too much, but safe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then also the, both the family dynamics that, help make it safe and the family dynamics that made it difficult. Mm. Like it wasn't e- like, you know, if you want to really like throw things for a loop, go make a film about your family. Like this was not, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if, you know, it's like anything, if I had have really thought about what I was on, like what I was opening the Pandora box on, mm. I might've been exactly where you were at. Like, ah, I'm not going to do this. And, but I didn't, and you never do when you're making something or, or when you're, you know, yeah, just, right. so once I opened it up, I couldn't put it back in. And I realized that if I was going to ask people to go into their memory of our father who's centralized in this and our fathers who are centralized in this and loss, then I better lead the way with being present to receive what it felt like for them. Mm -hmm. If I was also going to bring a camera in to document that. And then as I was in the editing process, force myself into my own mirror of examination and say the things that I made me the most uncomfortable or the things that are going to the things that made me, you know, and again, I had people I love asking me very challenging questions Mm. at different times. And that's what I think, you know, there was more people, more gentle, like Stina, our producer, she just, she's like, oh, you know, she's like, I think it could be a little more vulnerable. And she'd say it and I'd get a little agitated, but she just kept softly saying it. Mm. Like, can you go deeper is what she was mm, saying. And, yeah. she had, and she was probably one of the people that I met on the project. So she didn't, it was a new relationship, but that was being held with, you know, with other folks I've known a long time, a friend, Alistair, who just, he's such a, he's a great writer and a director and he, he was just kept stressing on the first 10 minutes how we had to get it. And he's like, the first 10 minutes aren't there. And there's a line that changed that in the beginning of trying to introduce my children, which was the truth of it. And it like, he was challenging me on, he's like, well, why are you offering this to your children? And the truth was, there's a line that I say, I say, the truth is we spend most of our lives apart. Oh, brother, that was like, my kids, let, like, I'm here in BC right now in the family home, and I'm, you know, going between here and there, but my kids have been, they were born here in BC. The truth is, they went to Germany, and they've been raised in Germany. Now, in my head, that 10 years that it's been, if I would talk to people, be like, yeah, my kid's been, you know, three, four years, like, I was not, ex- <laughs> they were raised in Germany. They would have been, I am in their life, we have a beautiful, healthy relationship, but it's not the traditional way. And the truth is, 
we've spent more time apart than we have together. You know, time will tell the positives or negatives of that, but that has an impact. And there's questions they asking me about why. And so that, and that was something that just reflected to me and I had to accept that as a truth. And then it opened, it opened me up. So there was many of those things along the way. And I guess to bring it back full circles, like it would have been unfair to ask that of my family if I wasn't able to do it for myself. Would have been unfair to ask that of, you know, so I tried my best. Mm. Tried my best. I have a confession to make. Mm. I thought my kids were the cutest. Dude. Your kids are absolutely the cutest. Like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, brother. God, it's so sweet of you to say they are. They're incredible, you know. Inshallah, we have a long life together and we, they're my greatest teachers. They're, I think, ultimately, probably, you're just making me think of this now too, is that the vulnerability of my father in the tapes I hadn't thought about this actually till just now. The vulnerability of my father in the tapes and the places he went to, mm. I think, gave me the courage to mm. try to do the same because those, and maybe taking the 20 years to watch it was, maybe that was divine and guided so that I could receive it in its entirety. It definitely shifted and changed a lot in my life. And perhaps in making something from my father's tapes for my children, knowing that they've watched it. It's been, you know, they, and this, but you know, my son's like, he's all the way there. My daughter brought up some tough questions for us and it, which has allowed us to grow in a beautiful way. Cause she's the smartest person I know, the most sensitive person I know they both are. And so she asked some hard questions of me, which I'm glad I'm having with my 17 year old daughter, not when she's 35 <laughs> and who <laughs> right. knows, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that my father's vulnerability, I think pushed me alongside with the beautiful people who supported the project and collaborated. I think maybe subconsciously I wanted to go there so that I know this will mean something different to my kids 10, 20 years from now, or when, you know, or when I'm long gone, or maybe their grandkids. So what am I going to hold back for? What am I going to try to posture for? And like, you know, I think vulnerability is born of sensitivity. And I think that in the, our modern culture, in our generation, at least, sensitivity hasn't been as encouraged for men. Yeah, exactly. And I think that I try my best to to nurture, you know, the sensitivity right. in my boy to raise a strong man and the strength in my daughter to raise a sensitive woman. And their mom told me that one day, and mm-hmm. that stuck with me. She said that to me. I love that my son's sensitivity is fully intact at 15 mm-hmm. years old. He feels. My dad did his best, but he would, like, hit me, you know, Man up, boy. Oh, yeah. Up because, and I don't judge him for it, man. Like, that was what he came from. Yeah. He needed that. Like, he needed to push me in that way. It, or so he thought. And the world maybe required it. So, but as we see these things changing, I'm trying to shift that. And so, yeah, thank you for that question. Because I, I hadn't really realized how much his offering inform that because he you know what a extraordinary journey that man went on you know he kept Mm -hmm. self-examining when there wasn't as many tools to do that Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as we have now right and you know your pop was william was Mm -hmm. a man of a certain generation right i mean Mm -hmm. we're all products of our environment we're all products of our time and you know my dad was you know Kind of the same way. I mean, you know, tough, you know, tough, you know, suck it up, <laughs> you yeah. know, toughen up, you know, yep. oh, come on, you know, you know, what are you crying like a girl? Exactly. Right. And, you know, I know it was well, all love. Was I know he was doing the best he could, you know, yeah. Okay, you know, he did, his dad died when he was a baby. You know, he was raised by a stepdad who was a kind of a asshole, to be frank, mm-hmm. you know, so, mm-hmm. you know. It's like we are products and, and the fact that our kids now, and I hope my son, my son's five, my daughter's nine, but like, I hope I'm doing that. You know, I'm hope I'm, I'm sure, I'm you sure know. you are because you're asking the questions. That's the best you could do is ask the questions. We don't know. 
we don't know, but you ask the question and some self-awareness around, mm. you know, around like, again, like we say, what we don't heal, what we don't mm. confront, we pass on. That's what's a line we wrote in the film. And yeah. it's like, I've never found something more true because I didn't recognize, and perhaps you could relate to this, we are the mirrors of our parents. And it's kind of, in both masculine and feminine, we it crosses in certain ways and we pick up things from others. But there's certain things I, I realized about my father's life that I was repeating the same things. And some of them were I'm very proud of and I'm, I'm glad that they stuck with me. And other things I had to confront and let go of because mm-hmm. I didn't want my kids to carry those on. Yeah. And it was not till kind of the opportunity to, and that's what I mean, healing through creative practice, the opportunity to make something did I realize just how many things were similar in our characters or in our our decisions. Mm -hmm. That was a little bit outside of, there are some obvious ones, but I I learned a lot more in unpacking his story, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I want to go into something that really struck me about the film. Mm. And I want to try to tee this up in the best way, right? So roll with me if you can. And correct me if I get it wrong. All right, I, I very well may. But building on this notion, right, that we are all products of our environment, you know, building on the notion that, you know, all of us, whether we're white, whether we're black, whether, you know, no matter where we are in the spectrum, you know, all of our experiences are are very personal, very different. And, you know, my wife, who is African-American, you know, she and I have talked about a lot about this uh, over the years because her journey as a woman of color was very well unique to her, but it was also not a classic American kind of experience for her and other like other women of color right here in the, in the country. And so my question kind of relates to this idea, this maybe reality. And there's a scene right where you go and you visit your family in America. You're walking. I think it was at Missouri. Where were they? I'm- Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City. Right. Missouri, and you're yeah, yeah. Wa- you're walking into the apartment and you're meeting in, in your family and your people in a very different place in a very different country with a very different experience than your own and yet you're connected by blood talk about that because maybe i was reading too much into it but like watching it like i could kind of in your face and in your body language i could kind of feel the energy that you were feeling a little at least it seemed that way because i mean what a powerful moment because you are walking into a new reality, into a different reality. hundred percent. But I mean, you're asking, it's a beautiful question. And I think that first of all, I'm grateful that we were able to capture some of that emotion that was happening and that you read it in the, in the body language. And, in, you know, there was a process, you know, in making this where you want to, I think when you make something, when you create, especially in documentary, you want to over explain. Mm. And what I'm proud of with the, with the, with the film is that, the challenge was to pull as much out. There was a lot more voiceover. I was trying to hold everyone's hand because I wanted them to feel what you're talking about. Mm. And I was explaining that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it felt right to pull it out, to just leave it there. Because what I think you picked up on was what the feeling was, was like, I'm completely, you know, what I didn't anticipate was the open arms and open heart that was awaiting there, which is a testament to my my big sister, Travestine, and the, the mm. who she is in our family mm. and what she's held down in our family line in Kansas City since my father left, really, as a matriarch, you know, as his first daughter. And since her mother left at a young age as well, before my father passed. And my grandma, who she had a relationship, I only met once in my life physically. She was, you know, but it was the women that were left behind when my father left that have held that space. So. And in me going down there, I was terrified mm-hmm. because I had built up an entire story about how they would see me as first my sister would see me as the one who had our father in his life, who had a lot of privileges that they just didn't have. The first one would be growing up in a safe place and had built a life for myself that was far outside the imposed boundaries of the reality of growing up, living on the margins and being a person of color, a black person in America. My brother, as I said in the film, my brother, he died at 49. And for 
I think those same reasons of, of the pressures of what it's like to survive in the margins of making it work in the line of what we call poverty in America. And so what was happening in that moment was this kind of the things I was so nervous about were both moving away because I was being invited in. I mean, they threw a party for me. She made sure everybody was there, all her her kids there, you know, like she got five kids and a bunch of their kids and this cousin and that nephew who knew my dad. Like I walked in like, and it was, and so at, at once I was both being accepted, which was like, oh, like a breath. And then you're also recognizing how far outside of that experience I've actually lived. And although I grew up in Canada. I look the way I look. I'm mixed as well, you know, but no one's ever looked at me in society as anything but a black man, even though, you know, my mom is white. But, and I spent a lot of time, other thing I want to say, kind of going around the world, both locally and internationally, advocating, well, learning about different cultures and people in, in, in America and all over the world, like, check, seeing where people had been kind of marginalized or been forgotten or othered and building, making music or doing films or, or doing campaigns for awareness around them, but really filling myself up with their experiences that are so rich and so powerful and seeing the, not just the lack of equality, but the quality of the people, like yes. seeing how beautiful it was and wanting to share those experiences. Yet all of those had been and I've been so grateful to be able to invite it into communities and be a bridge. But this was my family. This was my family and my story. And this was the black side of my family that I didn't have an actual emotional relationship with, even though I'm a black man in the world, spending most of his adult life living in America. And that's what you were picking up on. It was, it was almost out of body. I was watching myself kind of the other thing that was emotionally charged in that moment mm. was I was definitely an extension of my father. In that moment, like mm. I was, mm. I was picking, and again, I would not have known this. And this is probably what also helped me be vulnerable. Like I was picking up, I was returning to something that he was, he was only able to go so far in returning back to Kansas City, he, in leaving to save himself and to create a new life for us. He left that part of his life and that first family behind. And while he did his best to offer support, the reality is he was, saw my sister Travis Dean, brother Richard a handful of times in their life and he did his best. And I like to think without anything too grand that I was maybe coming back to the origin point it would be like a bit grandiose to say I'm healing or fixing, but I like to think that it just mended, it kind of rubbed that circle, like rubbed out a little bit of a break mm -hmm. so the family line could move in a healthier way for mm -hmm. my children moving forward, for mm -hmm. Traz's children mm -hmm. moving forward, mm -hmm. for the kids that are there. That was on behalf of my father. It was something that I had to do. Yeah. And that was like, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's no. too much to, I think that's what, all of us have a challenge to do. It might be mm. in the same town we grew up in. It might be with different, you know, blood family members or chosen family members. Mm. But that's, I think, the essence of what we have to confront because mm. you know it's real because it took me 20 years to show up. My sister, Shoshana, my elder sister, she went, visited Kansas City quite soon after our father passed. And that mm. was a journey for her that she mm. went... Mexico were, but she went on a pilgrimage of her own mm -hmm. and she did something for the maternal, like matriarchal side and kept and held mm -hmm. that relationship and had relationship with the family. It took me a while. Mm. You know, as you're explaining that the kind of metaphor that came to my mind was almost like, you know, reestablishing the circuit, you know what I mean? Like, so energy can flow, you know, like an electrical circuit well or something, said. you know, well and said. it was disconnected. It was, you know, and you reconnected it. Yeah, I think that that is, yeah, thank you for that. That's a great description because that's what it felt like. Mm. And then those relationships have kind of ebbed and flowed and grown from there, you know, in that, you know, it's like, you know, I didn't put it in the film, but like, you know, in the process of making it, like a couple of years later, my, my Travestine, you know, she got married to her longtime man there, Reg. She was getting married in KC and 
she hit me up. She was like, hey, brother. She's like, I, you know, and she was like, I need you to come down to the wedding because I need you to, you know, to give me away. And wow. I was like, what? <laughs> really? And she's like, yeah, well, you know, daddy's gone. Richard's gone. It's on you. And I was like, and not on me, like she invited right. me to do that, you know? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. holy shit, man. Like, I would have never got that call had I not confronted the thing I was the most terrified about. And that was a beautiful day, man. Everyone was looking sharp. She got to be celebrated. That would have happened and I wouldn't have been there. And let's keep it real. Like, is everything a-okay and the family's, everything's perfect down there? No, it's not. They are living their life and I am living mine. And we do what we can for each other where we can. But there is a emotional support that's there that far outweighs any of the material things we could offer each other. Mm. And I like to think those are as valuable, if not more, to us as human beings than, you know, because you got to be careful, man. You can't show up there like I wasn't looking to fix or save anything and nor did they want that from me. Like that would have been pretty arrogant to assume that I had Mm. some sort of role in that Mm. capacity. Mm. Mm. I think when you show up to, I want to say to to witness, you know, Mm. Mm. then you perhaps something expands into new places of being, you know, it's, you know, I got to say, I'm grateful for this conversation. Just, you know, it lands in a good day in a good way because I've been asking myself like some of these questions around like, just, yeah, this is helpful for me, man. I, mm. I, I, thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, thank you, session. brother. Thank you. And, you know, but I mean, what you're hitting on is, I mean, there's so many aspects to it because, you know, you were exploring your truth and your story and obviously, you know, it connected to your family and, but they weren't necessarily right. Ready to be vulnerable and courageous, right? Necessarily, you know, they didn't, you know, I guess no one knew where this was going. Ultimately, I mean, you knew you were embarking on this journey. Uh, and obviously this is the wedding and the things you're talking about right now are the gifts and the rewards perhaps that come from demonstrating courage and vulnerability and healing that comes from the healing, you know, but you don't know where it's all going. And the fact that, you know, and that's the other thing that struck me about when you walk into their apartment, it's just like your energy is so respectful. Like, like, you, you know, like you are, you're, you're just, you know, walking with great tenderness and great respect and great caution even wow. right you know you. and it's yeah man i mean it just for me it was just one of the scenes in the movie that just really just like jumped out and hit me you know but it's thank you man it's kind of like again vulnerability like i was like thinking about i was like how am i gonna show up here and i've got a camera with me and like yeah, what yeah, am i right, doing right. you know <laughs> and there was this like again a conversation we had that didn't make it in but it was probably the most important invitations was I was racking my brain on that first trip. Like, how am I going to invite this in like this process or why am I ducked like this film, like this idea to my family that a lot of people I work with that are in, you know, making things in this arts and culture space, you can give your elevator pitch. You can like, Hey, I'm making a doc. Like there's a shorthand for what, explaining why you're doing something and there's kind of a culture understanding. I don't know. And the reality is, is that that same shorthand doesn't exist with my family and with a lot of people who don't do this on a day-to-day right. of basis. Course, so, of course, of course. Exactly. What I, what I did and I remember it like so clearly because it was again, just a, just such a, you know, just more of Travis Dean's character showed up. I was sitting there with her. I was getting ready to leave and I was kind of trying to like, I said, Hey, look like, you know, this film, like what I'm doing and coming back here, like, I think that if I'm honest, the only way and perhaps the best way I know how to get to know people mm. is by making something with them. Mm, right. It's how maybe people call it a love language, whatever these mm, things. Mm, it's like, mm. and I kind of looked at her like I definitely was in little brother mode. I might have been sitting on the floor. I kind of looked up at my <laughs> big sister, you know, and I said, I said, and I would love to get to know you and our family by making something, making a film about our father, mm. you know? And as she looked at me, she had a little blunt going, she looked down at me and she just said, yeah, I'm with it. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was like, all right, game time. And then right she just, on. 
And then she just opened up mm-hmm. like, and you know, there's that scene where, you know, again, we showed just a piece of it, but then she I came back a couple months later, whatever it was, we did, you know, we had that big barbecue and had the family out. And that was all part of getting to know the family and part of, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I say this, like, I probably never said this to her, but it was part of me celebrating her, mm-hmm. you know, and giving her a space to be, you know, to do something on behalf of the family. We did that together. It was, mm, mm. most people wouldn't, at the end of the day, like, it's cool that I was in town, but they showed up because Travi called them. Yeah, right. And her brother was in town, but first right. because Travi called them. Yeah, Because she right. holds it Exactly, down. right. You know what I'm saying? And to be able to have that capacity to, mm, you know. Mm. And, Jerry, you know, I mean, mate, you know, would it be wrong to say, like, that's the maternal right there? Like, I mean, you know, like, you know. No, like it would not be wrong to say at all. Right, And right. that is that strength we're talking about that lives in that sensitivity and that capacity she has. And I don't want to, it's just, and so many women of color have this capacity, and women in general, that hold things down through breaks, through yeah. loss, through attacks, through tragedy, through, mm, you know, mm. this ongoing, like this, mm. you know, we kind of freak out. We're like, bah, and we go outside of ourselves to try and rectify and protect. And there's anger in us and all these things. Some of it shows up in a good way. A lot of it shows up negatively. Mm. Women have ability to transform those moments into mm. nurture, into holding, into, as you say, the maternal, which I would never even dare to begin to think that I understand, Mm. but I've been held by it. I've witnessed it. And it says a lot about a person when they can understand the, like, she had a depth understanding of the choices our father made Mm. that impacted her, made her, you know, was difficult for her. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was a process, but she understood that those were the choices he had to make. And she didn't have a, um, what's the word look where she wasn't holding a, uh, she wasn't bitter. She didn't have a one. She didn't have something against, yeah. you know, her family or him. Right. And that was so evident in the way that full circle mm. way question, how did she welcome me into, mm. you know, her home? Mm. So we've spent so many beautiful minutes here, 45, whatever it's been, you know, talking about the spiritual nature of this project, the, the soul of this project. Mm-hmm. No, no pun intended. <laughs> but, by the way, that was an accident. That was a happy accident. I didn't we'll see that it. coming. But you know what? We would be, I think, out of pocket. We would be wrong not to spend a few minutes, mm-hmm. you know, talking and honoring, you know, the actual product itself of the movie because it is so beautiful it's beautiful to watch it's beautifully shot it's beautifully edited you obviously talked a little bit about your team i you know Mm. i want to honor the team here a little bit Mm. and talk about the actual product the making of the product right and because Mm. it it looks i mean i'm guessing you guys you know we're on a tight budget whatever but you know it looks so beautiful and it's so soulful it's so rich I mean, talk a little bit about how you guys went about it. I know it probably took a couple of years or more to kind of make it all yeah. happen, but like, yeah. I mean, you stuck the landing, brother. I mean, you guys <laughs> stuck the landing and, you, you know, cause it could have gone sideways so many ways. <laughs> right? well, thank you for that. And first of all, like there was definitely parts of the process where I was like, am I just making a really expensive home movie? Like, <laughs> is anybody going to care about this? And right. I think what, the only way it was able to arrive to offer that, to have that, you know, be received in the way that you've received it and articulated so beautifully and I'm grateful for was it's always team, right? It's like I started in music and like music is collaborative because like every art form is, but like you start getting into filmmaking, man, you have to build this deep trust with people because each step of the way you rely on someone else's deep expertise if it's the cinematographer the sound guy like when you're out shooting there's people who have expertise that you don't have that you have to trust in and hand over and i think that we were able to like you know from like rafe who was cinematographer and he would just like we were like we knew we had to show up small so we'd show up just with a couple cameras we put one on sticks he'd be roaming around when we were able to when there was bigger things we we had you know two or three cameras but like you know i had a 
editor named Autumn Dale, who like, she just stuck with me and was really just almost the whole, it took about four years to do it. You know, it did take four years. Mm -hmm. And so she was there just helping kind of lay it out and keeping, making us feel like she was structuring and she stayed on through the whole way, you know, she, and, you know, but like, there was just people who got it. And like, I think, saw bits of themselves this is the beauty of things is like people saw bits of themselves along the way so they wanted to give probably more than i could have ever asked for you know brother matthew cook who became the lead editor and then me him and autumn work you know the thing is we edited that him and i it's funny i talked to him at the beginning of the process went on a whole roundabout like two and a half year journey and came back to him and we did we started we dropped in like early February, 2020, and we're like, okay, we're doing this. We did a couple sessions together and then the pandemic hit. And we ended up editing that thing through the first year of the pandemic. Mm. Like, and so we get on these on zoom and just cut it and do like five, six hours a day. And it was like arduous. It was, but we stuck with it. And, you know, at the end there, it was funny. Like we literally, I was like, we cannot finish this thing on zoom. And it was back, you know, and everyone's still testing hard and there was, we didn't know so much. And, his partner had some, you know, some pre-existing health things. So I had to go through a whole thing of testing. I showed up and did a sleepover at his house to finally <laughs> finish. <laughs> but, but like, I will say that what the team did was pull it away from me. So I could, I couldn't see. I think if I hadn't been left to my own devices, it wouldn't have become something that would have spoke to you and other people. It would have been too personal, but in the personal is the universal. And Matthew's approach was kind of, it's pretty brilliant. I thought it was just like, let's make a, let's call it a radio show. I think he said to me off the top, let's put everything we got in it and throw some pictures on top of it. Mm. And then let's sculpt, let's pull all these pieces mm. away as I was talking about earlier. Mm. And then, you know, you get into the, all the other elements, Joel and my sister Jada came up with all this brilliant music. You know, you get the, you, you know, you color sound like every step of the way people just gave so much. And I think, yeah, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful we had, you know, some great EPs on. Just encouragement, man. That's what mm. you need, too. I had people who were just mm. encouraging. Mm. Who had, like, take the time to watch the cuts and, and do the stuff. And I think for me, like, I've produced a lot of stuff. And I've sat in the director's chair on shorts. But this is my first feature doc. And I think what I could say is, like, it felt so, uh, I don't know, if gratifying. Yeah, gratifying to, like, for people to show up in the way that, like, I've tried at least and hope I have showed up for others. And I think I'm a kind of person that doesn't do well asking for help and support. I do well at supporting others. So right. probably another uncomfortable place I went into that informed some vulnerability was, you know, that I have this belief that, you know, true abundance is creating from giving, which I think nature shows us that, you know, a seed mm-hmm. from a tree can make a make a million more trees. We live in an extractive society. But what I've learned over time is that that sacred center of abundance is actually receiving. And Mm. if you're not in your giving, if you're not receiving, and that's a cyclical nature, Mm. then you will, it atrophies, Mm. Mm. it blocks. And I think that I had to receive the collaboration that people were offering. And that was a big lesson for me to not just be like, oh, no, no, I got it. I got it. You know, that's some, that, and again, another lesson I learned along the way of making this was to give people the space to, to offer their, to give their offering, to be, you know, to provide their insight. And, you know, you get challenged, right? It's like, it's like, didn't always work. It's like, you end up fighting with folks, you know, it's like, and also my <laughs> big sister, you know, I also want to say like probably the biggest collaborators were my family who actually showed up to be interviewed or my sister Shoshana, who's a brilliant journalist and would like just hammer me on the head about structure. And I'm like, uh, but she's, my sister's a proper journalist yeah, and, and very well accomplished. And, you know, so, and then, yeah, just shout out to the entire family who were willing to open up their memory and their narrative of, I think what happens is in death, we can sanctify, we sanctify someone in death. We put them on a shelf and remember all the beautiful things about them, which is healthy and fine for the short term. And what I've learned is over the long term, you have to kind of look at all the bumps and bruises of my father was a complex man, you know, as was, you know, as we all are. And like, you kind of take that off the shelf and metaphor is you shatter it and you re you you put it back together. But I didn't realize what I was asking of my family 
to be willing to do that with me. And that was not easy for everyone. And I'm grateful that they allowed for me to do that and then showed up when I asked them to tell me how they felt about it. And not everyone felt happy, <laughs> mm. you know, but, you know, we made some. So, yeah, sorry, that was a long answer. But you said, well, you said something a minute ago about the, you know, personal is like the flip side of universal, like like two sides of the same coin. Right. This idea that that when it's personal, it's universal. Did I get yeah. that right? OK, you got it. Yep. Yeah, OK, yeah, so in the reason that resonated when you said that was because, you know, what the story that you told about the team not just, you know, going into this as a colleague initially or as a friend or as a collaborator, but then as you go down this journey, this idea that they saw themselves in it, you know, mm -hmm. because really your story, this movie is, yes, it's a personal story, but it's, but it's a human story. It's a story about the human experience. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's unique to you and your family and the situation, but you know what? We're all in there. Mm -hmm. We're all mm -hmm. in there. That's, for me, again, personally, like that's, you know, like I'm like, wow, you know, like I see, you know, I'm seeing myself here and I'm seeing my family there. And, you know, and and I think that that's part of the reason maybe why everybody was so generous with their sense mm -hmm. of contribution and generosity, you know, and service to the project and everything, because they just they saw themselves in it, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great observation. I think I think it was there. And, you know, again, and I was also given, you know, like I think there's a you know, places we got to, to, you know, you need some bread to make this. And again, like people stepped up who wanted to support me in, in a journey. I think every, you know, even one of the, you know, I remember getting a call from Wolfgang who was like, put the, you know, he was, he was so kind of, he's a father and he'd been through, you know, and he, at some point he just called me and he's like, you know, if you ever need to put this down and this just is what it, and it ends here, it's cool. I mean, who says that? Like, that's how much people, how much care was given and that's a lot of the things that I strive for to offer that kind of safe, creative space to like explore things. I think what we want, I do believe that the process that we're in creatively with, as we create collaboratively and go along the way, holds energetic resonance with how things are received when they show up in the world. So if the space is healthy, it can be challenging. It can be like combative, mm -hmm. all sorts, but it's a healthy space that's based mm -hmm. on progression there's an energetic that's held there that ripples and the opposite is true when i because i've been in where we've had maybe all the resources and then the best in the world and da -da -da, work on our project and it it somehow like you have all the elements but it's missing something when it arrives mm. in the world mm. and it doesn't kind of show up you're like oh man that didn't hit it it's mm. a quote-unquote failure so it's i believe deeply in the in protecting that and trying to create the healthiest space for a creative process to happen. And then however it then goes in and shows up and goes out in the world, as many people's eyes you can get on it, absolutely. But I'm protective of that space and I'm grateful that people protected that space for me. I'm truly grateful for that. What more do you want in life, right? Then yeah, there's not much. There's not much. And it. even like I'll, I'll be honest, in like a more like I had like a, you know, in the most vulnerable places, like, you know, in my partnership, there's we're both making films at the same time and like, you know we were pushing each other to try to show up for each other there. Like mm -hmm. Dina's mm -hmm. like, she's an EP and like that challenge of someone who sees you so fully and kind of being mm -hmm. like, you're not going there. Like you can do better or like stop. Right. <laughs> so right. like, yeah, I'm not going to say I recommend this to people, but <laughs> yeah, it is definitely, some, it is definitely, some, you know, it, it was therapeutic. It was, uh, we all probably needed some therapy afterwards, but it definitely, <laughs> transform me. Well, I mean, it's such a testament because I mean, it does take both, right? You do need those people that are going to push you and challenge you, but you also then have to accept the challenge. And a lot of people yeah. don't, you know, yeah. and, and you did and, you know, and, and the product, the, I don't even want to use that word product, the movie, right. you know, at the end of the, cause I mean, it's garbage in garbage out. Right. I mean, with anything you're making, right. And, you know, and, and it's the quality of the output is directly related to the quality of the input. And if you are bringing, the best ingredients, mm. you know, 
that dish is going to be delicious, you know, yeah. assuming you executed well and didn't burn the, <laughs> didn't burn yeah. the sauce, you know, but you guys, you know, I mean, you had the right team, they were pushing you, you brought the, you know, obviously the right heart and the right spirit to it. And, you know, through four years of blood, sweat and tears and probably some good fights along the way, <laughs> <you know? laughs> here we are, brother, here we are talking about this incredible yeah, film, cool. man. I mean, I just, I mean, it moved me. It moved me, and I want everybody to watch it that's listening to this. I mean, what? Yeah. so where – talk a little bit about where people can see it. That's the one thing I'm, like, not entirely yeah. clear about because, I mean, I got, I got a special VIP password. Yeah, special VIP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're still, you know, like anything in this world, there's all these outlets, and it's always a little bit diff- – you know, you always wonder where to get to them. But we had a great festival run and, you know, got some accolades out there and saw it. And we're now in this, you know, a lot of my work and the team we work on, you know, is, like, I really – feel like making things is an opportunity to create place. When you're creating something, you're offering out, there's a space for conversation and community. Mm. So I like to build those things. It probably comes from my hip hop brain of like, kind of like just like building through culture. So what we're doing initially is we've, we've, uh, and you know, by the time this airs, everything will be ready to up, but we've got like a, we're taking the film into kind of some more unconventional places to start with. We're going to be spending time in uh, the California Correction Centers mm-hmm. uh, mm, talking to men about and women about fatherhood and their mm-hmm. fathers. We're spending some time with displaced people. This is all happening over the course of the next six months. Some displaced mm-hmm. people like, you know, recently arrived refugees or people who are migrants in, in South America and also some camps in Middle East. These are all going into with people that work there and then mm-hmm. really looking to offer it to as a, you know, I saw New York Times the other day, a million people lost from COVID, like around grief and loss and end of life care and some mm-hmm. of like hospice, mm-hmm. some of those organizations mm-hmm. and ultimately education spaces for healing through creative practice. So the film is a resource and it's, it's one thing, it's something to just take in. And also if you desire it, I want it to be a resource and a tool. So we've got a site and I don't want to blanket here, but we'll send it, but I believe it's deathmyfathers.com where we'll be hosting our own streaming and providing a capacity for people to host their own viewing parties, if you will, in their family nice. homes or in community right and yeah. all that leading up to, you know, we've got some offers. We'll end up in the streaming spaces. Sure. Sure. I'm interested in offering it in this way. So look out for, you know, we're going to have streaming windows. We're going to have our first one over the course of father's day weekend and offering up for free. Anyone to watch it, you know, it's help spread the word. There's going to be opportunities for people to host their own and we'll kind of show you how to do that. And then, you know, eventually it'll be just sitting out there in the world. But before I let go of it completely, I wanted to do this process because I also think that just full circle, I think there's in a brilliant way because of distribution and technology, the space between artist and audience is there's less kind of barriers. So if you kind of, if you push your way into that, there's a way to almost hand something off to people. And then there's, again, as I said earlier, and then you can let go of it and it's going to get to all the places it needs to get to. But we're trying to have as much care with how we offer it up and how we made it. And we're also like learning about what works and what doesn't. Some of these things will work brilliant. Other things like, I don't know, but yeah, just look out for it. And we'll, we'll make sure we have, you have all those details before this airs. Cause it's going to be a bit, this is what's brilliant about thank you for this time, because getting out to the audience, it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to be able to watch it. So we're going to make mm-hmm. sure people can uh, check it out over father's day. So this will right be a conduit on. to getting people a chance to do that. I'm really grateful for the time and energy. And also just like, yeah, the fact that it's not lost on me, that the fact that it resonated with you and what you shared off the top that, you know, you had that recent loss and that if this in some small way, or even this conversation is in any way a mirror back to, to supporting you through that journey, then I'm, a, then we accomplish our task. You know, we accomplish our goal because that's the most I could ask of this. And I say that with, as much sincerity as I can, I don't, I'm careful not to measure and I have to remind myself. So I'm saying it out loud, not to measure success through the metrics of more Mm. and, you know, like, but through Mm. a metric perhaps of connection, Mm. which is intangible, Mm. Mm. which I probably love more than anything. Mm. (laughs) Mm. So you're like, you truly re-inspired me today because you lose your way. You start doubting yourself. Like, well, why am I doing all these kind of non-traditional ways. Why do I care so much about getting it connected to people when it could just like, when I just go force it on, make sure it's on all the platforms and mm-hmm. streaming and stuff. 
but it's because of this. So yeah. I'm incredibly grateful for the time because it, it re-energized and re-inspired me. I truly, thank you. Right on, brother. Well, thank you. And it is, man. I mean, you know, it is, I don't know, I guess at the end of the day, right, if we're connecting to the heart and to the soul and to the mind, given a choice, I'd rather connect to the mind, the heart and the soul than the pocketbook. I mean, than the wallet. Same. I mean, really, you know, I mean, Same. at the end of the day, I mean, we got bills to pay, but you know what? At the end of the day, you know, hopefully the work we do touches people's lives in a meaningful way. Right. Uh, Willie, your hundreds, that's the most most you can hope for. I know your movie will when they watch it. I hope this podcast serves to to mobilize those people and get them to see it because I know it touched me and I'm just so grateful, man. And I so I hope you'll do me the honor and come back onto the show. I would love to, you know, shout out Yoshi for connecting it and like the whole team and just uh, anytime, man. I I'm really serious. This is a very helpful for me. It came at a perfect time. I couldn't be more grateful. And I guess, you know, mom finished the vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And by the way, before we go, shout out to Yoshi. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it doesn't get better than Aaron. I mean, you know, no, like top no, notch. She's, she's all time. She's all time. She's, she's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're all trying. To, I'm on team Yoshi. I'm just trying to do what she wants me to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to grow up to be to be Yoshi. <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly. Oh, right man. Well, so guy, you are a blessing and a gift. Thank you so much for coming on today, brother. It's an honor to know you. Appreciate it, man. I look forward to that, man. We hopefully we'll break bread in, in LA sometime soon, you know? Oh, for sure, man. Keep me posted. Like, let's do a dinner party. Let's do something. I mean, you yeah, know, it'd be great. Do you get down? Do you get down what? Uh, yeah. I mean, a few times I mean, a year like, or how often? Yeah, I split my time. So I'm there a lot. Oh, okay. We're going to be okay, doing something cool. at the uh, uh, California African-American Museum on the 16th as well. And, and uh, oh, right on. Screening, so we'll make sure you have all those details. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. That'll be great. I'll look forward to that, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.